All right, Alexander, let's talk about the counteroffensive or reconnaissance mission. Counteroffensive or reconnaissance mission? Or maybe somewhere in between. Maybe somewhere in between. Well, you know, I, I, I look at it as somewhere in between for now, in the very, very short term, like in the next day or two, I, see, I saw what happened towards the Zaporozhye region as a kind of, you know, if it goes well, if the Ukraine military manages to, to break through, say, the second line of defenses, then I would have expected a lot of hoopla, a lot of announcements. It's begun. But because it didn't happen, I think they're kind of just... You know, keeping a bit silent for now, even though it seems like something is starting up, I think they're keeping a bit silent because they didn't get quite the breakthrough that they may have been hoping for, for media optics. That's why I'm yes. saying that it's, yes. it might be somewhere between. I think it's not a reconnaissance probing type of uh, operation because they lost a lot of, uh, of men, tanks, uh, vehicles. I mean, 10, 16 tanks, the Ministry of Defense says. Yes. That's, quite a big loss if you're Ukraine and you've gone through six months trying to pick up uh, 300 tanks and you've lost 16. Even if those numbers are bloated and say you lost 10 tanks, that's still that's still a lot to lose in some sort of reconnaissance. Anyway, what are your thoughts on well, uh, what happened the, the yesterday? Right, the, first thing, the first thing to say is that this was, I, mean, I think this is clearly connected in some way to the Ukrainian offensive that we've been hearing about for so long. I, I think that one way or the other, whether this is the offensive or it's a preparatory step prior to the big offensive, this is clearly a, an attack that is connected to the offensive. And it was a big attack. I mean, the one that happened yesterday was a big attack. Um, the uh, Russian Defense Ministry says six battalions of motorized infantry were involved, mechanized infantry was, were involved, and two tank battalions. So that, to my mind, sounds like a lot of tanks, perhaps 60 tanks, 30 tanks per battalion. Just saying, uh, 60 tanks perhaps, um, and maybe 3,000 men in total. That's a very big reconnaissance. If that was, you know, if we ex assume that the defense ministry's claims are correct, the Russian defense ministry's claims are correct. And bear in mind that um, Gerasimov, who is the Russian chief of the general staff, He's actually there. Apparently, he's on the scene. He's directing operations on, from the Russian side, one assumes. And the very fact that he was there suggests that the Russians had some sense of something coming. So it seems to me that Ukraine is doing what it always does. It hits in a particular location. It sees if it can break through. If it does break through, this is the offensive. If it doesn't break through, it's a reconnaissance in force or an operation to shape the battlefield. And that way, the offensive is always successful. And of course, if it isn't successful, then of course, well, it's not anything to do with offense, the offensive because the offensive itself hasn't started. So it's actually, I think it's quite a clever scheme that the Ukrainians have, but that's, it seems to me, what they're doing. And I think it's essentially the point that you're making. I think that this was more than a reconnaissance. It was an attempt clearly to punch through. And by the way, I should quickly add in parenthesis that, you know, 
a couple of hours ago, there were reports from the Russians that they're trying again. So, I mean, you know, there's something else going, there's something more going on today. But, you know, we haven't got much information. It's been going on for several hours. But for the moment, it doesn't seem as if that, whatever else it is, has broken through yet, or maybe won't at all, but we'll find out in due course anyway. But anyway, the point is, it's what they do. They they hit, they they knock on the door. If the door gets slammed in their face, they go back, perhaps try somewhere else, keep on trying day after day, week after week, as it, until something happens, and then they can say it's the offensive. So I think we're probably going to see a lot more of this over the next few weeks. Yeah, I think that um, given everything that's happening in June, you know, you have the, the NATO exercises, the air defend, I think it's the air defender is what it's called. You have those yeah. exercises on June 11th, 12th. Um, you have uh, various statements from Sullivan and, yeah. uh, and other officials. Sullivan yesterday on CNN said the offensive is going to happen. It's going to be successful. That's yes. That's what he told uh, yes. Farid Zaharia. You have statements from people like Petraeus as well and other officials saying it's going to happen. Uh, you have some symbolic dates like you know, D-Day and stuff like that. I, I imagine that this June, early July time period is is what they're they're looking at to, to get this thing going. Absolutely. I think that's exactly right. My own personal view is that the fact that uh, Sullivan gave that interview is another indication that this is part of, let's say, if it's not the offensive, it's part of the preparations for that offensive they're all they're all they're all connected to each other the other thing to say is that this attack is happening and i'm taking this from a russian official it's happening in the area where the distance between the ukrainian forces and the sea of azov is the shortest so they're going for the direct line if you like even though this is one of the more heavily fortified areas <laughs> of 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 the front lines, but that seems to be what they're trying to do. They're trying to break through fast. They're throwing 3,000 men. Now, the Russians say, they say that they knocked out 16 tanks, which is an awful lot of tanks to knock out in a single day. I mean, it's an awful lot of tanks. Um, and they also say that they killed 250 men, killed or wounded 250 men. If you consider an attacking force of, say, 3,000, Get it, guessing. Again, that's a very high casualty rate um, in in the in in an attack like this. Now, the sixteen tanks. I actually think that's probably correct. I mean, these are big, bulky things. <laughs> I mean, the Russians can see where they are, and they can they can identify which you know they can count the tanks that have been destroyed. They've got lots of eyes in the sky. They've got lots of means to keep track of what's going on. The 250 men, it's a little less sure, but does nonetheless give you an idea of an intense battle and a strong attempt to break through. Doesn't seem to have succeeded. Well, it didn't succeed. <laughs> it didn't succeed completely. And the Ukrainians came away with a bloody nose. But as I said, we're seeing is they're trying again today. Yeah, and while this is going on in Zaporozhye, you have these uh, these attacks which continuously take place in Belgorod. Yes. And um, what's happening in Belgorod doesn't directly affect the, the actual uh, battlefield in, uh, in uh, Donbass or, or uh, Zaporozhye, Kherson, but 
the general consensus is that what the Ukraine military is trying to do is they're trying to, to distract the Russian forces away from the main battlefield and perhaps even uh, shift some resources from the, the battlefield up to the border. That's exactly. generally what, uh, what is thought of when we're talking about Belgorod. But it's, uh, it's worth noting that from a, from a PR perspective, I mean, from a media perspective for the Russian government, this, this, is, this is proving to be a bit of, of, of a headache for them. I mean, and people, and people, civilians are getting shelled and civilians are dying. And, and that's, that's a terrible thing. And, and it's for the Russian government, they have to... They have to address this soon, I imagine. The Ministry of Defense has to deal with this soon. Absolutely. Can I just say, I mean, I think it's more than a headache. I think it's a big headache. I mean, it's a real problem. And um, the way in which this is being done by Ukraine, and let's be quite clear, it is Ukraine that's doing this. I mean, I, 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 let's not take it, take this Russian volunteer army nonsense seriously. I mean, the, the British media are running with that story. The American media is much more sceptical. It is, it, is it is Ukraine that is doing this, and it is doing this with the agreement of the administration. I mean, they would not be able to carry out an operation of this nature if the administration in Washington wasn't supporting it. So I think we need to have those particular myths buried. It's not the Russian volunteer army and it's not being done against the wishes of the administration. So let, let's make that clear. But the way it's been done is incredibly theatrical. So you have uh, attacks on uh, these border villages, you have uh, attempts to capture Russian soldiers, which to some extent they have done. These are probably conscripts, by the way, young people who are um, holding you know, positions in this area. You've got statements issued, demands to meet the governor. The governor of Belgorod agrees to meet with them, but they don't show up. All of those kind of things. So it, it's basically a, a media operation more, it seems to me, than a military one. But it serves two purposes. Firstly, as you said correctly, it distracts the Russians. I mean, it, it means that political leaders in Moscow have to focus on what's going on in Belgorod, even though they have this battle in Zaporozhye to worry about. And that might explain, by the way, why Gerasimov, the chief of staff, is actually in Zaporozhye. So he doesn't have to, he, his mind isn't being clouded with all this business in Belgorod. So that's the first thing. The second is it provides cover for Ukraine because if the offensive in Zaporozhye goes badly, well, you don't talk about that. You talk about these incidents that are going on on the border in Belgorod. So it's it's from Ukraine's position, position which is, as I said, essentially a PR one, this is a win-win business. It's very cynically conducted. You're shelling villages. You're killing civilians. You're crossing the border, kidnapping people. You're doing all of that sort of thing. But you can see why, if you adopt an utterly brutal, cynical calculus, from their point of view, it makes a kind of sense. So that's that's what I would say about that. By the way, it wasn't just in... Uh, um, Belgorod, that the Ukrainians launched attacks. They also launched attacks in Liman, um, near Avdeevka, near Marinka, in all of these places yesterday. 
they went on the attack. In all of these places, they were the Russians say they were repelled. The only one that really matters, it seems to me, is Belgorod. Yeah, and when you have the the entire collective West media who can cover you when you're when you're doing these things in Belgorod and can and can push the whole narrative of Russia as being invaded and look what's happening to to the Putin government, they're losing villages on the border town. It it just makes the case that that, that you uh, were talking about and that it, it provides the perfect cover for everything else that's happening in uh, Zaporozhye or or anywhere else on the front lines. Absolutely. Can I just say, I mean, the British media is running with a story that these are <laughs> anti-Putin Russian partisans. <laughs> I mean, they're, 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 you know, even though, I mean, self-evidently they are not. So, I mean, but having said that, that's the story that they're running. And I mean, I'm not saying there aren't some Russians there, but, you know, we know what sort of a Russians. The Ukrainians tried that dry run um, a few weeks ago, if you remember, when they sent these very um, unpleasant people with these extreme right-wing views across the border. And um, some of them were then interviewed by the Western media. It became very immediately obvious what their political beliefs are. So I think the Ukrainians saw that you can do that and nobody cares. And so they're doing it again. They're using some of these people to provide cover for what is clearly an operation by the Ukrainian army. Right. So you have uh, Prigozhin coming out and saying that if uh, the Russian military, the Russian Ministry of Defense doesn't do anything, Wagner's going to step in and they're going to, to protect the, the people of uh, Belgorod. You have Kadyrov pretty much saying the same thing, that the, che the Chechens understand these types of maneuvers that the... Uh, the Ukraine military is doing, and uh, you have conscripts and border patrol in this area, so they're yeah. not Russian conscripts and border patrol in this area, yeah. so they're not really uh, trained to deal with uh, these Ukraine forces that are uh, in Russian territory. Some of them, I've heard, are elite forces as well. You also yes. have Polish uh, mercenaries yeah. yes. who are also involved in these incursions in Russia, though the Warsaw government is saying that they... They have no idea who these people are and they have no connection to them. Okay, I have a bridge to sell you if you if you buy that. So, I mean, you know, if you're if you're the Russian uh, government, if you're Shoigu, what do you do? Can you uh, can you make the argument that at least for a small window of time, the incursions of Ukraine into Russian territory may have may have helped the Putin government from a perspective of, look, NATO is now attacking us like Russia proper. So I told you guys so, I told everyone so, that you know we had to do something. Otherwise, NATO was going to come into Russian territory. Can you say that, at least for a brief window of time, as these attacks were happening in Belgorod, they did serve some of the... Uh, of the arguments that the Kremlin has been making about NATO attacking Russia? Absolutely. I mean, can I just say, from the other side of the hill, looking at it from the Russian point of view, I think this is actually, this this does exactly what you say. And the, the Russians are making exactly that very point that you are making. They say this is straightforward terrorist activity. There's no fundamental military positions of any importance here. So this is straightforward military activity. NATO is supporting it. 
They've already said that the NATO countries that didn't see the shelling of Donbass don't see the shelling of Belgorod. This is part, in other words, of NATO's basic aggression against Russia. So it confirms that from our point of view, from the Russian point of view, as they would say, it it, it, it vindicates our entire argument for starting the special military operation in the first place. Now, about the Chechens and the Wagner forces, I think there's two things to say about that. Firstly, the Chechens are now heavily committed. They're being given instructions to clear Marinka, to uh, support the advance in Avdeyevka, and they're taking over in Artyomovsk, the former Bakhmut. And clearly there's intentions to push them to take the offensive there. So I don't think the Russians will want to commit these very specialized and in every respect elite forces away from where they're really needed on the battlefields. As for Wagner, Wagner is supposed to be refitting. I think that um, it's perhaps not fully ready to take over control of the situation in Belarus, sorry, on Belgorod. But beyond that, there will be a political concern, which is because Prigozhin is constantly mounting these attacks on the Russian Ministry of Defense. He did, he made some further ones yesterday. He said that the Russian Ministry of Defense troops had been sabotaging and firing upon, um, you, you know, withdrawing um, uh, um, Wagner forces, and he actually pro- produced an officer from the 72nd Brigade, which. Nobody's been able to ever identify securely what it is who, who, you know, came along and said that this is, you know, this is indeed what some of his troops were actually doing. So, you know, you get a lot of this going on. So, I mean, uh, do you really want Prigozhin and Wagner, who are not yet committed, completed their refitting, redeployed to Belgorod? which will simply give him even more traction to criticize the Russian leadership in Moscow. He'll be able to say, well, look, you know, the Russian government can't protect Russians, but we can. So, you know, we, we Wagner are the people who are protecting Russians. So I, you know, I think that they might eventually do that if the situation in Belgorod gets completely out of control. But I think they'll do it through gritty teeth, actually. I, I think that... Um, because they didn't sort out the Prigozhin situation earlier, and I can understand why they didn't. It's difficult to do that while the Bakhmut battle was underway. Um, you know, giving him more traction by redeploying Wagner troops to Belgorod to protect Belgorod is going to be deeply embarrassing. But of course, if things get continue in the way they are, they might decide that they have no choice. Okay, so what does uh, Shoigu do? I mean, the well, Ministry of Defense. Well, Asimov. I, I mean, how yeah. come they just don't send Russian forces that, that are not deployed in Ukraine? Just yeah, of, of which, of which, despite what the British say, there are plenty. So I and I think eventually that is exactly. I, mean, I understand the SMO thing. I, I understand yes. the framework yes. of the SMO may not no, permit yes. them. Yes, you know, legally understand that. But why? I mean, in this no, instance, can. it is Russian territory. So yeah, isn't absolutely. It out they of can. The they SMO? can. They can, and they can. They can. They can deploy forces, and they've got a big reserve. I think what they want to do first is get a clear sense of what uh, Ukraine is actually doing on the front that really matters, which is Zaporozhye. And I think we'll get a clear picture within the next couple of days. And then once they've decided what they're going to do about that, and the fact that Gerasimov, by the way, was in southern Ukraine, in Zaporozhye region, um, you know, supervising 
things suggests to me that the Russians have a pretty clear picture of what Ukraine's plans are. So I think once they've done that, I think they will redeploy some forces to Belgorod if, uh, if um, the, you know, these attacks continue, which they probably will. All right. Uh, anything else going on that we need to talk about? Well, I mean, the, 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 right. I mean, there's two things to say. I mean, firstly, the Russian missile bomb offensive across Ukraine continues unabated. So that's going on all the time. The other big thing, which um, it, we need to talk about briefly, is that, of course, Ukraine may be attacking in Zaporozhye. It may be attacking rather unconventionally in Belgorod. But the Russians are pushing forward and they're pushing forward Marinka. Finally, it seems they've made a decision to capture this place near Donetsk City. They also pushing forward in Avdeevka, this other town near Donetsk City. They seem to be aiming finally to capture that. But the big news, I think, is what's going on further north in Kupiansk. And the Russians are now both on, on both banks of the Oskol River. This was actually semi-officially confirmed this morning, by the way. And they seem to be pressing hard now on Kupiansk, which is this town on the Oskol River. This, Well, not particularly big town, but it was the capital of the Russian-administered area of Kharkov region, which the Ukrainians recaptured in the autumn. So the Russians recapture Kupiansk, and they seem to be moving steadily and incrementally in the way they do to eventually capture Kupiansk, then that is going to be a big psychological blow for Ukraine because it will be that the big achievement of the Kharkov counteroffensive of the autumn will have been um, will have been reversed. Of course, that hasn't happened yet. Much could happen still. I think the major focus, and I think we should bear that in mind, you know, a lot of the discussion is about Belgorod. The real fighting at the moment, clearly, is in Zaporozhye and in southern uh, Ukraine, or what was or southern Donbass, where um, Ukraine is now trying its offensive. Yeah, and can I just uh, add one more thing? All of these uh, these incursions to Belgorod, they serve no real military purpose, no. like no. in this conflict with Russia. Uh, but what they will do is they will force the Russian military to absolutely uh, take all of uh, Kharkov and everything in and around yeah. uh, Belgorod. This mean, is Russia, that, the, the, one, the one sure way to prevent more incursions into the Russian border, and I'm sure the, Russian, the Russians are thinking about this, I'm, I'm sure they're, they're, they're talking about this, you want to prevent uh, any future incursions into, into these towns and villages on the border, they're just going to have to uh, change the border. And that means all of Kharkov and everything uh, touching Russia is just going to get absorbed. That's, Absolutely. that's going to be the end effect of all of this. I completely agree. Though, of course, that's some, some way off. But, I mean, it's, it's been pointed out by some people, several people that, you know, during the period of the Soviet Union, Kharkov and Belgorod, these two cities, for Belgorod now in Russia, Kharkov in Ukraine, formed what was in effect a single conurbation. And this, this means that this area is very vulnerable to the kind of border raids that we're seeing being carried out at the moment because um, it, 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 it's ideal territory to carry out these raids. Lots of it 
are heavily wooded. Tree cover is very dense, so you can you know, infiltrate, send small groups of infiltrators quite easily. And there's lots of population centers that you can um, reach very fast. So yes, it has absolutely no military significance, but it can only be fully secured once Kharkov and Kharkov region and the city of Kharkov are fully under Russian control. Yeah, it's going to boomerang back against them. Eventually, yes. All, all of this activity. Yeah. Eventually, yes. yes. All right. Okay, we'll end it there. The Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Rockfin, Odyssey, BitChute, and Telegram. And go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code GOODDAY. Take care.